All right, so we're in a series called In Transit, and um, we're looking at characters from the Bible who have experienced seasons of transition in their life. It's kind of these in-between trials of life, right, where they, people have experienced times of frustration, they've experienced times of pain, they've experienced times of suffering and difficult questions, and, and I just might ask, can anybody relate to that this morning? Can anybody... I'm guessing, if you're honest, that every one of you would raise your hand this morning, that you have experienced times in your life where there's been frustration, there's been pain, there's been suffering, and you've really had some very, very difficult questions to God, and just really what is going on. Last week, we looked at the life of Job, and we learned that he went through many difficulties, right? Through no fault of his own. He, he lost everything that he owned. And he, he lost his children, his sons, his daughters. And then if that wasn't enough, then um, Satan put sores all over his body and his health began to deteriorate. But he couldn't die. And so we have this dialogue between his wife and his best friends and between Job and God that stretched for 41 or so chapters and we get this front seat of, of Job wrestling with the question, why God? Which is the questions that we wrestle with quite a bit. And, and what we learned in all of his questioning, wrestling, and doubting, and pain, that he came to this conclusion at the end of the day that God was and is trustworthy and that he can be trusted. And his faith won out what we learned. And it's because that he had began early on to cultivate a relationship with his heavenly father. And it wasn't just a relationship with an abstract God, right? It was a relationship with a, uh, a God that he began to know intimately. There was this intimate relationship. And so when things began to happen and he was wrestling, he wasn't wrestling with this abstract idea of who God was. He was wrestling with a God that he already knew and was continuing to get to know. And so that was the difference with him. And really he began to answer that question is that God would ask us is, do you want me, question mark, that's it. Or do you want me because of what I can provide for you? And I think that's an important question for each one of us to answer. Oswald Chambers, we learned last week, said, described faith as this. This is that deliberate, and that's an important word, deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. And that is faith, and that's what Job had, which sustained him through all of that time. And then we came to the illustration last week. Remember, <laughs> I had those two containers and the sand and that rock there and Barbie Ken. And um, by the way, that particular illustration I've learned has been entered into the Hall of Fame of Sermon Illustrations. There's the ones that people want to do over and over again, and there's the ones that people don't. I say, look at this one. Mine happens to be in this category here. That's, oh, well, don't worry about it. I'm not worried about it. But here's the point, right? And we learned this in Matthew 7. 
24 through 27. It says, really, which foundation are you presently building your life on? And that verse talks about two, right? That talks about this foundation of sand. And while I'm talking, Travis, why don't you come up? I didn't tell you you're going to do this, but I want you to come up. All right, quickly, run or fast walk. And, and so um, don't jump. Oh, too late. CrossFit. Come over here. Stand on the number four, please. So we have these two um, uh, foundations that, that Matthew, or he talks about in Matthew, and it's the one about sand, right? And he says that if, when we hear the word of God and we don't put it into practice, that we're like people who build our life on sand, that when the rains and the winds and all that come up, that we are toppled over and the sand is not a good foundation for us. But then when we hear the word of God and we... Um, put it into practice, and we're like people who are building our life on this rock. And when the same winds and, and rain and all that come at us, we may sway a bit and rock back and forth and all of that, but we are secure and we're going to stand firm, right? And as I was thinking about that, to maybe redeem the illustration, I was thinking about what's well, kind of like um, when we're driving on a road, and Travis is going to represent you this morning... And you're in a car. What kind of car are you in, Travis? I'm in a Porsche. He's in a Porsche. Make us a Porsche noise. It's a dream. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what a Porsche sounds like. Okay. Put it in idle. So, this is what it's like, right? And so, we're, time is relentless, I have come to find out. And probably you have too, right? Time does not stop for us. For anything, it just keeps going and going and going. And that's what our life is kind of like. Like, so we're on this road called life. Hold on, don't move. And then we encounter this roundabout that's right here. Roundabout, and then we have this exit point here, or the roundabout keeps going um, right in front of this hole that's right there. Um, and so that's kind of how our life is like, right? Some people have described our life like we're either going into, and this roundabout represents some kind of pain, some kind of suffering, some kind of trial, or some kind of disruption in our life, we're either going into that, we're either in it, or we're coming out of it. And that's kind of how our life lives until God decides to take us home. And so here's Travis. He's in his Porsche, and he's driving with a... What kind of song you got in your head? <laughs> so he's driving, and he's... Life is good, right? He encounters this roundabout, so he takes the roundabout. Keep going, keep going. It's good. And he may take it super fast, or he may take it super slow, right? <laughs> well, stop. Now he's encountered with his decision. All right, am I going to take this exit to go out or am I going to keep going on this roundabout? So when he has to make the decision, it's likened to us, I think like with Job, right? We're either going to trust that our God is good, that he's faithful, that he's sovereign, he knows what he's doing, and he loves me. And I may not understand this roundabout, but I do know he loves me, and I know who I am in Christ. And so... I don't understand all of this, but I'm going to trust him. Travis then goes out, right? Come back, buddy. Right here again. 
That same decision, Travis says, you know what? I don't know if I can trust God. What I do know I can trust, though, is money. Or my spouse. Or my kids. Or the fact that I am getting accolades at my job. Or, and you can substitute any other thing in there. Any kind of addiction, any kind of sin, anything in there that's not Jesus Christ, not God. And when he makes that decision that, you know what, this is what I know, and this is what I'm going to trust, what happens? Look what happens. He decides to go there, and he just keeps what? Just keep going. (laughs) He just keeps going, right? He just never goes anywhere. Give Travis a hand. He's dizzy. That's exactly what happens. That was a weak round of applause, people. You don't know how hard that was for him. And so this is what we learned with Job, is that our faith doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be pretty when we're doing this roundabout thing, whether either we're building our life on the rock or we're building, I mean, when we're building on the rock. Our faith doesn't have to be pretty. But... We learned with Job that it should persevere. That it should say at the end of all of this wrestling and all this struggle, and and we do need to vocalize that because we're thinking it anyway. God knows what we're thinking. Why not just express to him and to some trusted people? It doesn't have to be pretty, but it needs to persevere. Why? Because you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. He does that every time. <laughs> Thankfully, it was at a great point. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. And we've understood about who he is and the promises that we have in him. We've understood about what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ, to us. And we've understood now who I am in him, that I'm an adopted son, I'm an adopted daughter, and I'm going to keep telling you this, and you may be sick and tired of hearing it, but it is so true. And we have all the rights and privileges that go with being adopted into God's family. And I don't know how much more I can stress that to you, except maybe give you another illustration, and that's... And, This is a weird one, and I think I've told this one to you already, but I'm going to share it with you again because we talked about it last night um, with uh, someone who came over to our house. And we were talking about that different restaurants and different things, and it came up that because I live in Kearney that I've, and this person did as well, and we both experienced the Pepsi at Amigos, South Amigos specifically. And we both agree, we both agree that there is no business, and I've been in Kearney and Lincoln and Omaha and other places, there's nobody that does the right combination of carbonation and syrup and whatever else they put in there like that particular organization because that is absolutely the best Pepsi I've ever encountered. I've tasted it, and I've seen that it is good, and I'm going, there's nothing else, right? 
But I'm explaining to you, I'm explaining that to you, and you're going, eh. First of all, I don't like Pepsi. No. But you're right, you're just going, eh, I don't know. But until you've tasted it, right, you're not going to experience it the same way that I do. Now, that's kind of a weak illustration, but I think it's this, I think it can work when you've tasted the joy that you have in Jesus Christ, right? There's something that drew you to him, that you said, you are my treasure above everything in my life. I am going to deny myself and say yes to you. You're my Savior and you're my Lord. Because I've tasted the joy that I have in you. So that when we do encounter these things in our life, and we're at this point of we're going to trust and we're going to right, answer that question of why with worshiping him and putting a hope in him and saying yes to him. Or we're going to put a trust in money and this whole list. And we're just going to keep going around, going around, and we're going to go nowhere. That was Job. And that was last week. This morning, we're going to take a look at Daniel in the Old Testament. How many know about Daniel? A few. Tell me some things that you know about Daniel, the character in the Old Testament. Just shout some things out. He's faithful. He what? Man of prayer. He was exiled. He fought. He fought the lions. Survived the lions. Yeah. Worship the king. He refused to worship the king. Thank you. He had visions. Yeah. So this is Daniel, right? So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying that we're going to get beyond the flannel graph that you would probably nor, normally think about Daniel in the lion's den or Daniel in, in whatever you might think about and really get into, all right, so what is it about Daniel that we didn't already learn from Job that we can make applicable in our life? And so Daniel, I'm just going to kind of regurgitate a little bit to give you some context of, of Daniel. We're not going to look at the whole book, all 12 chapters, but we're going to look at part of it. Uh, the, Daniel is, is part of what we call the prophetic books in, in, in the Old Testament. And um, Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar. And because of the Israelites' disobedience, God said, all right, I'm going to give you over to the Babylonians. And so they were taken captive. It was uh, three times that that began to happen. And in part of that... Um, King Nebuchadnezzar decided that he was going to take some of the uh, best and brightest and most handsomest young men in the Israelite kingdom as his own to serve him 
in his kingdom. And so that's where we pick it up with Daniel. Daniel was part of this group of young men that were taken away from his homeland, taken away from his home, and it's probably in that 15 to 17-year-old range. So you can imagine what that must have been like as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old being taken from, ripped away from your parents, ripped away from everything that you've known, and said, you are now going to serve me in my kingdom. And what they did is they began to said, I'm going to really uh, reprogram you you know, in these next three years so that you can serve me well. And so this is the environment that, that Daniel finds himself in. And um, we begin to learn, right, that um, he began to, he, you know, in, in the first chapter, he says that he, when confronted with this, that, I, I, that you are now going to eat what the king sets before you and drink what the king sets before you. And Daniel says, no, um, I'm not going to do that for whatever reason it was, whether that food was being offered to idols or whatever it might be. He says, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to purpose in my heart to be obedient to what I feel like God has called me to be. And so him and his three friends, as you know, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names, um, they had this experiment, right, where they were just fed uh, water and vegetables. And after 10 days, um, they grew stronger and uh, more in stature and all of that than the others. And so they relented, and then he began to live his life. He was in this system for, I think, 60, 70 years, somewhere like that. And he began to rise in power, and he began to rise in favor with the king, and he was put over lots and lots of different, um, many, many people and, many, and, and systems, and he was um, very faithful to what he was asked to do and what he was called to do. I mean, he walked with royalty, and he did that with digni dignity, and he did it with purpose amidst a culture that was just horrible. He became uh, what we would call a prime minister, per se, over two world governments, Babylon, Babylon and Media Persia. And so he was lifted to this, uh, really, beyond being king, this very high position as a young man and, and as he got older and such. And so he was famous. He was well-known. He was respected by a lot of people in the culture there. He had many friends, but he also began to develop enemies, not because of what he was as a person, but because of who he had become, and they were jealous, and they began to get bitter. And they began to seek his life, right? They wanted to get rid of him so that they could then take his position. He was loyal, and he was true to who he was on the inside. And that was the, one of the things that I think was attractive to those around him, and that, um, and that definitely was one thing that characterized Daniel. He maintained uh, an unblemished testimony, even amidst, right, 
this incredibly horrible culture that was around him. He walked in a way so that even his enemies could not find fault. And we read that in Daniel chapter 6 where they were trying to find fault with him and they could not. And so they had to come up with some kind of means to trap him. And that was, well, if we can't find fault in the man, then what we're going to do is we're going to go to the king and he needs to do a decree that, that nobody should pray or do any kind of worship to any other god but right their god. And they knew that if Daniel held true to form, that he would be in disobedience to this order, if he, if he knew it, and they were going to get him in this trap, right? Well, and that's exactly what happened. Daniel decided that he was going to keep doing his normal practice of praying out this window towards Jerusalem three times a day. And so they caught him in this, and they went to the king, and the kings did not want to throw Daniel into the lion's den, but... Because he had no other alternative, he said, all right, I'm going to have to do it. And, of course, you all know the story, right, where he was thrust into the lion's den and God was with him and he shut the lion's mouths and, and they were not aggressive and obviously he lived through the night. And then the king came and he was really surprised but incredibly joyful that Daniel was alive. And he said um, he took him out and he threw the people that had... Um, uh, conspired against Daniel into the lion's den, and of course they were chomp, 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 and no more. And, um, and the king said, we need to uh, honor and serve the, the God that is Daniel, that he, not is Daniel, but that God, the, Dan, the God that Daniel loves and worships. This is an incredible testimony uh, of a guy that was exiled from his home, exiled from his parents, and was indoctrinated, per se, into that culture and been taught the language and the ways of the Babylonians. And there's a lot of wicked things that were going on around him, but he maintained his character. He was then elevated right into these this very... In, in the midst of exile, he was a very prosperous man, very famous man, and um, greatly beloved by many, many, many people. So much so that he was put in what we would call, right, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And you didn't even have to, his name wasn't even put um, in the verse, but this is what we read in Hebrews eleven thirty-three: Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, Stopped the mouths of lions. I mean, that's Daniel. And so we might ask the question, well, what's the secret to his life? You know, in a day where success marks a truly great person, it doesn't matter what you're in, right? Um, whether you're really great at, and you name it, whatever it is, if you have success then the world is going to say, you're a pretty good person. You, we're going to give you a passing grade. We're going to elevate you. We're going to write stories about you. We're going to do all these, make movies and write songs and whatever, whatever, whatever. And Daniel was a success 
not only by God's standards, but by the world's standards. If we're going to measure Daniel by the, how we measure success in our world today, we would say Daniel was a quote-unquote success. In the book earlier in, in the Old Testament, we read about Ezekiel, who was, according to the world's standards, was a miserable failure. But God had called Ezekiel to stand in this very dark and spiritual, spiritually uh, void place. And he didn't have a lot of outside success, but he was called to be a prophet in that space. Job over here, through no fault of his own, right? His kids and his property and his health were all taken away from him. And God says, I want you to stand and be a light in that. Now here we have Daniel who's been exiled, yes, but who by all the world's standards has been a success. Position and, and probably wealth and, and favor with men and all of that. And God says to Daniel, right, I want you to be a success now in your prosperity. Even though you've been exiled, there's these moments of prosperity and can you remain faithful in that? Even though we read about Daniel in the lion's den, he did have some persecution, persecution in his life. The majority of his life, though, was spent, right, finding favor with men and being overseeing a lot of different people and systems and that kind of thing in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And so what was the key to his success? It's the same key that we find in Job and we find in Ezekiel is that Daniel had developed, again, a relationship with this God. He had tasted and he had seen that God is good. And he developed this relationship. And it didn't matter whether he had success or whether he had persecution, but it stayed the same. It didn't waver. It was consistent. See, Daniel didn't have a lot of the New Testament. He didn't have any of the New Testament. He didn't have a lot of the Bible that you and I have. He had some of it. And he had the customs that they were brought up to, but he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot what he had been taught. He never forgot this relationship that he had developed with his Heavenly Father. The king's plan was to brainwash these boys. The plan was to take away everything from them so that they could serve him to put new ideas and new philosophies and all of that so they could serve his government. Even so much so that he was going to change their diet and also change their names. He said, no longer you're going to be called Daniel. You're going to be called Belt Sat... I can't even say it. Belt something. Sazerzar, something like that. <laughs> Beltzar, there you go. But in all of that, Daniel purposed in his heart that he was going to say, I, I know who loves me, and I know where my strength comes from, and I know where my joy comes from, and I'm going to stay true to that. 
even though, you know, all this is going around me, this is what I'm going to stay true to. Uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2, talks about that for us in our life. And it's a very famous passage in Romans. And it says, um, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I mean, God has been merciful to you. I don't know if you understand that. And he has saved you. So because of his mercy to you, and this is what the verse says, that you present, which could be translated yield, and that it's an active part of who you are. So it's an act of this will that you yield, that you present your bodies, meaning that your total personalities, all you have, all you are, that you present that as a living sacrifice, everything. I mean, if God doesn't have you, then he really has nothing, right? So you present everything about who you are, your personality, your heart, your per everything, your pocketbook, doesn't matter what, you present that all to him as a living sacrifice. And maybe one day we're going to be called to be like the martyrs in the Old Testament where they're thrown in the Colosseum, right? And, you know, they're faced with the lions and they get devoured or put on a stake, whatever it might be. We may be called to that, but right now we're not necessarily but what we are called to, right, as a living sacrifice is this really, this mundane life between Monday and Saturday, really from Sunday to Sunday. But we live, right, this mundane life that we go, we go to school, we go to work, and we come home, and we eat supper, and we, whatever we do, and we go to bed, we get up, we go do it again, and again, and again, and again. And that's where he's saying to you and I in the United States, in Nebraska, in Omaha, or wherever you might live, that I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice now. Holy, which means that you're dedicated to God, that you're beginning to become more like him, acceptable unto him. I want you to, to know this, right? I want you to understand that you're this lost sinner that was separated from him, and because of his son, Jesus Christ, who came and paid for that on the cross, past, present, and future, and you put your faith in that, he has now saved you to this hope that we have in, in heaven someday that we will be reunited. We understand that our life right now is, is, is as exiles, right? But we're this adopted son, we're this adopted daughter. I want you to be acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, in other words, this rational, intelligent, spiritual service. And then this line, and be not conformed to this world, to this age, to whatever is going around you that's not of God, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What tethered Job, what tethered Daniel, is their hope in a God who loves them, who they have found, whether in 
persecution or all of that, or whether in finding favor with man and seemingly having all of this wealth and and whatnot, this position of power, and he seems to be, I know he's in exile, but it seems to his life is pretty good, whether in that, and I don't know what that looks like for you, right? You may have finally gotten what you wanted, that house or that fill in the blank. I don't know what it is, but you may finally have gotten that. Are you going to, I, this I feel like, you know, we, we maybe can wrestle with and we go, all right, I, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope here, right? So who am I going to turn to? But here, when we don't, it doesn't feel like we're desperate. And it's easy for us to push aside, right, maybe what we've gone through this and now we're, we're, we're exiting and we're at, all of these things are so positive. Are we going to stay true to what happened here and this hope that we have? And I think that's the challenge that we have this morning from the book of Daniel. Psalm chapter 90 talks about that, that we are to understand that our days are numbered, that it's just like this, you know, uh, a wisp of wind. And maybe if we're lucky, we have, you know, 80 to 90 years on this earth. What are we going to do with those days that are numbered with us? And if we understand that, then we're going to use them for his glory and for his honor. And if we understand that, then scripture says that we begin to get a heart of wisdom. C.S. Lewis wrote, he who has God and everything. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God. Wow. That's sobering, but that is true in God's kingdom. And do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that? These are some of the lessons that we learn from from Daniel. Don't ask God to bless a life that you haven't given to him totally. When they conflict. Always trust God rather than your feelings or your intuition or your gut. This is what I feel like Daniel did and this is what I feel like Job did. Is they made a commitment that their God was worth it way before culture and way before the crowd got a vote in their life. And though our circumstances change, right, our circumstances change, our calling to remain holy, our calling to remain people who live as people who know who God is and what he's done and who we are as his child, and then we understand how we're to live, never changes. Last week, we said our faith doesn't have to be pretty, but it does need to persevere. This week, our faith still doesn't have to be pretty, but it does need to be consistent, whether going through persecution or prosperity. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you, God, for this church. God, help us as we learn from two of your servants in Job and Daniel last week and this week. God, help us to be people that um, have tasted and seen that you are good. God, help us to wrestle with, um, or help us in our wrestling, God, with maybe why things are happening in our life. God, bring people around us that can love on us, not judge us, but pray with us and encourage us and, and strengthen us, God, when sometimes when our faith is weak. But God, at the end of the day, may we, like Job and like Daniel, whether it be in persecution or prosperity, God, say, you are our hope. You are my God, and you are who I'm going to serve and trust, even when I don't understand. So God, we pray these things in Jesus' name.